this is kind of one of the questions that I've been sitting with as of late and it pertains to what we're speaking of, which is finding our own North Star and aligning to the truth of our own unique path. And part of that is finding finding our own way of honoring the sacred, of honoring our own lives. And this is the question that I've been asking myself lately. How can I best honor the life that I live? How can I best honor the sacred? sacred. Peace, everyone. Welcome to Masters of Ceremony. This is your host, Andrew Ascaripour, also known as Fifth God. I'm so happy to release this week's episode featuring my dear brother, Kayuta Kayora. Kayu is a modern-day medicine man and ceremonialist who's been walking this path of sacred medicine for nearly 10 years now. Kayu seeks to shed light on all things relating to shamanism, nature-based spirituality, storytelling, earth-honoring traditions, rites of passages, and the remembering of the sacred ways through his various platforms, but primarily through his online community and website, medicinepath.net, and also his newly released podcast, Birdsong, which I'm personally a huge fan of. Caillou and I met back in 2018 in a Wachuma ceremony in Cusco, Peru, and it has really been an honor to keep in touch with one another over the years. In today's episode, we discuss Caillou's personal transformation from going as a drummer in a rock and roll band, touring through Australia, living a wild life, to having what he describes as a lightning bolt experience, which served as a catalyst for him to begin walking this path of sacred medicine. We delve into his initial travels down to South America, where he was first exposed to visionary plant medicines such as ayahuasca and wachuma. We speak about the importance that ceremony plays in his life and how we can each address the spiritual malnourishment that we are facing as a society today. We also go into the powerful medicine of combo, which is an ancient medicine from the depths of the Amazon that actually comes from an Amazonian tree frog. (laughs) And uh, I was really happy to go into this topic with him because I do consider him an expert on all things combo. We also delve into practices of initiation, the importance of elderhood, and so much more. Everything we discussed in this episode is of immense value and importance to me. And it was really an honor to have somebody who I respect so much come onto this platform and share their wisdom, share some stories in such a reverent way. So I really thank Caillou once again for coming on. Tune in after today's episode to learn more about how you can support this podcast and also win a very special prize I'm giving away to one lucky listener. Thank you guys so much, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Peace. Caillou, welcome, brother. Welcome to Masters of Ceremony. Andrew, thank you for having me. You're very welcome, brother. It's an honor, and uh, I just want to express my gratitude for you taking the time away from your family, taking the time away from your beautiful land to come on this call with me to have a conversation that hopefully impacts the souls of many people who may need it during these times and whenever people end up listening to our conversation. Um, I feel really grateful to be able to speak with a fellow brother who is on a similar path as I am regarding 
the medicine realm and all things of uh, consciousness focused ways of living and I'm uh, really happy to have you here brother thank you for coming on beautiful words yeah after tuning into your previous conversations on your podcast and recognizing the high caliber of your guests and the way that your guests and yourself articulate yourselves and also the production quality it's a real honor and a pleasure to be here having this conversation and it's a big delight for me that you've invited me on so thank you Mm, likewise brother so i pretty much um just want to start with the real beginnings of your existence basically (laughs) i would love if you can tell myself and those listening a bit about your upbringing where you were raised and uh some of your early experiences that you can say help shape your life into what it is today Mm, sure okay it's interesting i always find it interesting the stories that we tell about our own lives and how our journeys are just a continually unfolding progression of moment-to-moment experiences. Every experience that we have is like a single page in a flick book that is constantly going. And just how interesting it is that we, we have these experiences that we give more weight or more meaning to. And for good reason, a lot of experiences do tend to shift our, the needlepoint of our compass in a different direction. Just something that I, I muse upon the the moments that we choose to tell within our you know our, our expansive story of the ent- entirety of our lives but you know to touch on some of the the key points I was the well I am the eldest of three children and I grew up on the surf coast down here in southern Victoria Australia Now, even though it was the surf coast, I didn't surf all that much when I was growing up. I was more of a bodyboarder. But even then, I still had an overwhelming obsession with the jaws of the deep. (laughs) So, (laughs) while I still spent a lot of time in the ocean, I didn't feel all that comfortable being on a, a surfboard or a bodyboard. But we spent a lot of time camping and out in nature when we were younger. And look, I was a pretty regular kid in in that I liked playing sports I you know this is the time when I'm 33 years old now and when I was growing up you know the Sega Mega Drive was coming out and there was the Nintendo so I was just a kid that liked playing outside loved getting involved in the video games but when we were camping I think that was a that was a key point for my childhood having that being initiated into a a way of connecting deeper with nature. So the dads would go out fishing and as kids we would go and catch lizards and swim in the rivers, <laughs> catch frogs. We would dig up cattle bones and yeah. pretend they were dinosaur bones. You know, just, just a, a wholesome childhood. Mm-hmm. But I started to lose interest in that when I started to become more interested in girls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of course. And shortly thereafter, it's when I I finally mustered up the courage to ask my dad for something that I'd been dreaming of for years, which was a drum kit. Mm. And look, I was a quiet kid. I was reserved. I was kind-hearted, very tender. I was a 
very emotionally driven or I felt things on a, on a very, very deep level. But it kind of felt like I couldn't really embody who, who I, who I, who I really was on a, on a deep heart level. And, you know, you could, you start getting into a bit of a dialogue here around the stereotypes and the conditioning of yes. modern culture. So, you know, it took me a lot of courage to actually ask my dad for what I wanted, like, even though it's as seemingly as something simple as just saying, hey, dad, I'm interested in playing the drums. What do you reckon? Could you buy me a drum kit? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of trouble saying that. But when I did get the courage to ask, my dad was like, yeah, sure, no problems. So I started playing and learning the drums. And I think, well, I know that drums gave me an outlet not just for creative expression, but an outlet for which my identity could start to take shape. Mm, yes. Mm. Especially because I was kind of in that sort of like a limbo state, as I mentioned, where it felt like I couldn't quite be who I, who I was because of the expectations from family or friends or, you know, you kind of get what I'm getting at around yeah, that conversation, of course, right? Of course. But Getting back onto the drumming path, started gigging, started partying, and you know, with the rock and roll lifestyle, if you know much about that, I always make a bit of a, I always have the commentary that it was full of naughty behavior, full of <laughs> yes, debauchery. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, taking drugs and drinking, and there's you know, the, the whole touring lifestyle, not very healthy habits or behaviors, poor food, poor relationships spiraling into what was essentially a pit of drug abuse and destructive behaviors. And that continued on for a long time. And while I reflect on it now and I can see how unhealthy it was, in the moment it was incredibly liberating and fun. Mm, yes. Free of responsibilities, but at the same time the shadow side of that is not taking responsibility yes yes there's a there's a, an immense feeling of power when you lack a certain amount of care or regard mm. and uh, mm. we feel that strongly during our adolescent years and um, early 20s and i'm a bit mm. younger than you and i feel like i've certainly calmed myself down in recent years as i've grown more into an adult adult but uh these experiences that you're speaking to are very customary to just the path that many young men have throughout their life in one way or another. And um, mm -hmm. I'm curious if even in the midst of all of your debauchery, as you stated, were there glimpses of uh, glimpses into the sacred or glimpses into experiences you, you may have had on psychedelics, although being taken recreationally, that gave you somewhat of an inkling of, okay, maybe there's something more to this. Or was there a singular experience that created that shift? Mm. Yeah, as you alluded to, some of my drug, recreational drug experiences involved psychedelic substances. And... Towards the, the earlier exploration of these particular substances, it was one of my first psilocybin mushroom experiences. And this was during a, a rafting trip away with a group of friends. 
And during this mushroom experience, I realized that I was engaging in behaviors and hanging out with people who were perpetuating this feedback loop where they were engaging in the similar behaviors that I was engaging at that were ultimately unhealthy and destructive. And I started to gain a bit of a glimpse that, hey, I'm not sure I really want to be part of this. Mm. I'm not sure if I really want to be hanging out with these type of people. But in saying that, old habits die hard (laughs) and it was a repeated cycle of feeling a void in a sense. I didn't know where else to turn to. So, I was kind of stuck in this negative feedback loop. But eventually, you know, time passed on and while I was still exploring the world of psychedelic substances and as you articulated, gaining little glimpses here and there of the sacred, the tug back into that (laughs) world of debauchery was still so strong. But eventually I left the band world because the calling to go and travel was was singing out. Mm -hmm. Something was permeating through saying, hey, there's something bigger out there that you need to go and explore. So I took off and started traveling through Central America and that was pivotal for me. That was a big action adventure kind of extreme type of holidaying where I was kayaking, I was hiking active volcanoes, looking down into volcano craters and seeing the lava bubbling Mm -hmm. up and doing all kinds of crazy things, you know, yachting in the in the Caribbean, <laughs> hanging out in pristine watering holes in the middle of the jungle. Wow. And not yeah. to interrupt, but were these uh, some of your first real traveling experiences or the farthest they you've were. traveled? Mm, beautiful. Mm. Yeah, there was, you know, even though I touched on uh, some of the, the naughty behavior that ties into the band world regarding women, there was still, you know, still lots of fleeting yet still romantic affairs with beautiful women from all across the globe. As I said, old habits kind of died hard at that point in time. But look, yes. what was keystone here was the reading of a book, and I'm sure you are familiar with it. And this book was by a man named Graham Hancock. Mm, of course. The book was titled Supernatural Meetings with the Ancient Teachers of Mankind. And perhaps some of the listeners might have heard of this, but just as a very brief synopsis, this book was exploring the origins of humanity, the origins of consciousness that manifested through through humanity. And that story really starts with the first cave paintings, And the premise was that if you could figure out what these ancient cave paintings were speaking to, what they were pointing to, then we could start to figure out the origins of consciousness manifesting through humanity, which led us down the path to where we are today. And of course, this tied into shamanism. It tied into altered states of consciousness. It tied into various plant medicines like ayahuasca. which I'm sure we'll touch on later for Mm -hmm. any listeners who aren't familiar what these things are. But these topics, especially the topics revolving around shamanism, they captivated me. Yes. And I had a chance to go off to an ayahuasca retreat at that time in Central America. But instead, (laughs) actually, I ended up flying to Puerto Rico to (laughs) hang out with a Texan girl that I had met at (laughs) 
Hooters many months <laughs> earlier wow. while I was road tripping across the US in this red Mustang with one of my <laughs> one of my mates at the time. And, you know, she was uh, one of the best cheerleaders, you know, best cheerleaders getting around at that time. And wow. that just goes to show, you know, despite the awakening trying to come <laughs> through, those old patterns and programs, they, they ran deep at the time. Yes, yeah, so one foot in, one foot out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But look, those seeds were, they were planted over there. And when I got back from my travels in Central America, where I actually ended up getting really sick as well. And this is kind of another pivot point into the story, which yes. we'll probably touch on later. But anyways, uh, after that, I, I re-entered band life for a little while and you know was kind of tiptoeing around, finding myself kind of having one foot planted in the world of band life. But then that other foot was starting to find heavier ground, heavier weight in the world of spirituality and consciousness and the sacred, especially after my experiences over in Central America. And shortly after, it was the first time in my life where I truly turned the lens of awareness back onto myself. And this mm. was after a relationship breakup. And I started, I started looking at myself and thinking, man, I do not know who I am as a person. And I do not like who I am as a person, all these unhealthy behaviors, all these self-limiting beliefs that I carry about myself, about others, all these misconceptions around, around love and all these unhealthy patterns that are manifesting in relationships such as jealousy and control mm. issues and manipulation. And I was just like, I, I do not want any part of that. I need to, I need to find who I am. And that is what started a more serious path of, self-development and spiritual exploration, which involved exploring topics such as philosophy and psychology and consciousness and Eastern traditions through reading and through going to workshops. And then yes. eventually that led down to led down the path of making my way to the jungles of Peru to spend time with the traditional shamans over there. And after drinking what you might consider to be a reasonable amount of consciousness-altering plant medicines for spiritual purposes. That is what changed my life indefinitely, and things have never been the same since. Wow, beautiful, brother! Um, your your journey <laughs> your journey mirrors um, not only my own, but I'm sure many others as well. Of uh, mm. a pretty steady, but also uh, spontaneous transformation and contrast mm. between different forms of lifestyles. And um, to me, it sounds like when you went down to the Amazon or wherever you went to meet these medicines for the first times, that something awoke with, within you pretty immediately and mm. uh, was already in the works much prior. And mm. um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your uh, initiatory experiences down there, but something I want to focus on as well is what was going on within your life with the people who had this concept and idea of who you were and we're now starting to see another, basically another person form <sighs> in place of this person that they really thought they knew. What were some of the um, experiences you dealt with regarding that? And how did you deal with this, um, you know, maybe perceived judgment or uh, people just feeling disoriented from such uh, immense transformation of self? Mm. 
Yeah, reflecting back on that, it's it's quite interesting to note that there was, and I've used the, the same way of articulating myself just previously, the, the pivot point. When this lightning bolt, and that's what it felt like at the time, the lightning bolt that struck that illuminated the only path forward and the only path forward at this time was the path of self-development and spiritual expansion when that lightning bolt came in i transitioned very very quickly from being very very social and intertwined with that sociality was this persona of being the life of the party Mm, and being very uh, very external. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rather than being, you know, uh, extroverted. extroverted. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's the word I was looking mm-hmm. for. Extroverted. Yeah, I was quite extroverted, but it was all kind of a, a front. It was all all a bit of a mask, concealing who I really was. But yeah. when that lightning bolt came in, and I started to get in touch with something much more authentic, something much more aligned to the truth of who I was. There was a shift and I went very, very internal, introverted. And there wasn't that many people who saw me during this time because mm. I made a conscious decision to turn into a recluse and to kind of live a more more of a, a hermit lifestyle. Mm, yes, I but, see. Yeah, still touching on that, there was... For some reason, I felt the call to make a YouTube video. <laughs> this is going back, you know, five or six years now, but mm-hmm. longer. And I made this YouTube video talking about this upcoming journey that I was going on. And that was kind of my statement to everyone that I knew saying, hey, the old me is dying and something new is emerging. And I don't know what that thing is, who this person is that is more emerging, but this person that was coming out is certainly something, someone more sincere. Mm. And I was trying to make a distinction from the life of the, the life of the party, the punk rocker that most people knew me for and trying to change that perception into more of a, mature version of who I was stepping into. So I didn't feel too much judgment from anyone when it came to making this transition from one person to the other because of that reclusive shift in lifestyle. But one important piece or one important reflection here that's coming through is the judgment that I felt was actually more so in regards to my dad. Mm. Even though, and this is this is a very pertinent point, even though the judgment, it was all fantasy. It was yes. all my own projection of how I thought he was going to judge me rather than how he was actually perceiving me. And of course, this, this tied into childhood experiences as well and the feeling of not being seen for who I really was. So, of course, I was just projecting all of that stuff onto my father and onto the rest of my family as well. So that was kind of the big piece of the puzzle when it came to feeling judgment in those early days. Yes, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head regarding most of the judgment that we perceive is just that perception Mm -hmm. and projection of how we expect somebody will react. And uh, even for myself, 
I, as I alluded to, I had a similar transformation back in December of 2016 uh, during the peak studies of uh, ethnobotanists like Richard Evan Schultes and Wade Davis and um, psychedelic explorers like Terence McKenna and others. Uh, I felt the call to go down to South America and experience some of these sacred medicines. And uh, I had such a projection of fear and judgment uh, from many people in my life that I think I only told maybe one or two trusted people and didn't even tell my parents exactly what I was doing going down to South America. And um, as I came home, well, as I went there and had the experiences that I had where I would say I had my own lightning bolt uh, revelations um, upon coming home and people in my family and others close to me seeing the results of my uh, experiences with these plant teachers, I felt a lot more comfortable in authentically expressing a bit more of my journey. And uh, I maybe didn't go as far as making a YouTube video <laughs> like you did, but I definitely became more vocal on social media about my journey and my path. And um, stepping into that state of vulnerability and being a lot more of the person you want to be in a public sense, living that truth was very encouraging and inspiring for me. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not an, an easy thing to speak out about some of the topics that we're discussing here on this platform, because even if it's not coming from our parents or close loved ones, uh, from society itself, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding regarding these things. So mm. I want uh, to ask you about your your experiences down in South America the first time when you started to meet these plant teachers and started to meet mm. them in a ceremonial way, uh, a mm. safe and sacred container opposed to uh, abusing or misusing something in a recreational way. What was it about the act of this sacred container and the act of these ceremonies that made you feel so comfortable and attracted to implementing these forms of lifestyles into your life? Mm. What that brings up for me is the thought that we have been long disconnected from our roots. Look at the state of rivers when they dry up and turn to dust and cracked soil. The trees when they enter periods of drought and they start to turn gray with death. Or, you know, the the lone puma up on the mountain that hasn't fed in months and it's almost nothing but skin and bone. And I think about the common threads here and it's that they are malnourished. Mm. Yeah, they're malnourished. There's a part of them that is dying. And we as humans, you know, I, I have felt this individually. And this is speaking to the start of the initiation into this path, but also on a collective level. We're in the same boat. Well, we're malnourished and it's our spiritual connection to nature that is 
it's been severed at the head for such a long time and it's been an unstoppable snowball if you will you know ever since the days of agriculture and animal husbandry in its many forms yes patriarchy in its many forms you know a loss of connection to the divine feminine and the matriarchal ways of living and being you know mm-hmm. we start to move onwards to religion industrialism producing and consume yes. the you know the, the kind of reductionist sterility of much of science and modern medicine the technological era religion all of these things play their part in humanity's humanity's severance to to nature and part of that connection to nature is a recognition that everything around us is sacred and coming back full circle to ceremonial ways of living and ceremonial ways of engaging in these plant medicines or these plant teachers they offer a space and time a container where we can come back into remembrance of what's truly most important what's truly most sacred to us individually and collectively and this ties into how we show up on a personal level the our connection to self our connection to others to the interconnected web of life all around us it's recognizing that all of life every single thing is sacred mm. and that's why there is such an importance in these ceremonial ways of working having relationship entering engaging in these experiences and with these substances for the reverence that these experiences can induce and illuminate within yes. us shifting our states of consciousness to just profound profound dimensions or you know non-ordinary states of consciousness whatever you want to you know there's a million and one ways to to language this but it's just a it's a way of paying deep respect and reverence to these substances that can induce such dramatic shifts in the way that we see ourselves the way that we see others and the way that we see reality as a whole so that yes. kind of starts to touch on the importance of ceremonial ways of living and ceremonial ways of engaging with these with these medicines yes completely brother they are just that medicines and uh for me i would also call them great masters of uh remembrance and reminding Mm. us what really matters most in life and what to pay most attention to i can say Mm. um my first experience with the grandfather medicine of wachuma sacred san pedro cactus I had such a simple revelation come to me that literally reshaped my entire view of my existence. And that simply was that I had never thanked the people that lived upwards of my lineage, 500 years, a thousand years for the lives that they lived, which allowed me to be here today. And I had this realization that I am not just a circumstance of my parents conceiving me, but of a long line of ancestry, a long line of sacrifice, which has allowed me to be here today and has especially allowed me and has blessed me the opportunity to sit with these sacred teachers in these sacred containers and remember how to honor where we come from. And 
for me, that was such a deep awakening. And I don't think an insight like that would have been reached outside of a sacred container. Um, the act of ceremony itself, <clears throat> for me, I always say, facilitates a feeling of returning home. And uh, I feel like that is very much as well the uh, energy you are alluding to when you speak of this remembrance and this reverence of where we come from. It uh, It's really a moment of some of the deepest reflection you can go through in your existence. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear how you not only begun to continue to partake in these ceremonies, but actually take a step further to say, I actually don't only want to be a participant of this path, but I want to walk this path myself and the steps you took towards doing that. Yeah. I have reflected on this over the years and I feel as though the essence of these particular medicines were calling me on a much deeper level before I ever really felt the calling to them on a much deeper level. Now, as I started to deepen down this path and shed a lot of the conditioning. You know, I, I talk about these, the, I've been articulating it using these three kind of analogies. And one is that, you know, we, we come into life and there's an atmospheric fog of conditioning, yeah, mm -hmm. conditioning from society, from culture, from family, friends, environment, the media, the entertainment, the information that we're exposed to. There's, there's weeds that we develop in our yes. own inner garden as we get to go through life, you know, or similar things that I'm speaking to. And we also inherit the crust of our ancestry. Now, this, is, this ties into what you're saying, and there's kind of, you know, there's many different tributaries that we're that are present here. But when I'm talking about the crust of our ancestry, it's respecting everything along our ancestral lineages that got us to the point where we are today. But it's also recognizing that we have inherited traumas or limiting beliefs or many of these patterns and programs that are passed down the line that are ultimately shielding us from becoming the truth of who we are. So I say that if we want to see our North Star, if we want to know the direction of our North Star, then we've got to clear away that atmospheric fog of conditioning. If we want the roots, you know, the roots that are there that are really seeking to take hold, we've got to pull all the weeds out of our garden. We've got to nourish and tend that soil. If we really want to feel like the, the essence of our heart and soul's calling, what's inside, then we've got to start to remove the crust of that ancestry that we've inherited that isn't beneficial to yes. us. So kind of getting in a, in a roundabout way of talking about like having to remove 
all of these things that we've accumulated. And once I had started to do that to a greater degree, then it started opening up more pathways for me to explore the question of, okay, how do I want to be spending my life now? It's not just about doing the work for me and making myself a better person, but it's now I'm, I'm engaging with this world and I'm, I'm starting to show up to be in service to other mm. people. How can I help other people? And the message came through for quite a while there to deepen into this path of shamanism. Not just shamanism, spirituality, consciousness exploration through the use of plant medicines and sacred medicines. But I felt quite a lot of resistance there in regards to taking on this role or this identity or stepping into this path of serving others through plant medicines. I felt the resistance there for a long time. The stories were still coming in. Who am I to be doing this work? I haven't done enough work. You know, there's so many other people out there doing this. Why, why would anyone want to come and me- come and sit with me? What have I got to offer? And still the, the seed was planted. And eventually after continuing to do more and more work, I shed more and more layers until it was somewhat inevitable. It was a gradual, natural, organic unfolding down this path, not me pushing or chasing for it or thinking that's that's what I want that's what I'm going to go for it was a weave and you know they say that a a boat or a ship is never traveling direct you know it's never mm, traveling on this yes. direct path it's always recorrecting course yes, along the way not along the same way yeah exactly and it was kind of the similar situation for me if I want to articulate it like that correcting course along the way and the direction that I seemed to be deepening into was this direction of offering not only these plant medicines to others in a ceremonial context, but well, that actually, that is the larger umbrella. It's living a ceremonial way of being. It was living ordinary life because I was, I was getting pulled the mm-hmm. vines of this world were intertwined with the vines of my own life so deeply that it was only natural for other people to gravitate towards me to experience some of the things that I was already doing on a daily basis. Yes, of course. I think that's yeah. why um, you and I <clears throat> and others refer to this as a path of remembrance because uh, as you stated in one of your previous podcasts, uh, our names and our fates are already written in the stars. Mm-hmm. And um, I had an elder uh, teach during a ceremony once, and I'm going to paraphrase him, but he was referring to the question of how do I find my path? And he had a very simple response, and it was to simply walk and to move forward through life in an authentic way. And your path will find you. And I feel like that is exactly what you are articulating and something I have experienced as well. Um, there may be a longing and an attraction towards something, but the actions that we feel most connected to really come about and occur in such a natural way. And to me, that's what is such a clear in- indicator of where we should be spending our time and our attention. And uh, I think it takes removing these weeds out of the soils of our history to be receptive enough to even be aware of where we are being pulled. And uh, it's really a way of honoring 
these moments of insight to continue to follow that path with courage, which isn't always easy to do. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you touched on something and maybe whether we open up a dialogue about it now or we go down this path a little later, but you you, you alluded to, you know, honoring honoring the sacred in a sense. And this is kind of one of the questions that I've been sitting with as of late and it pertains to what we're speaking of, which is finding our own North Star and aligning to the truth of our own unique path and Part of that is finding finding our own way of honoring the sacred, mm. of honoring our own lives. And this is the question that I've been asking myself lately. How can I best honor the life that I live? How can I best honor the sacred? Yes. And another question that ties into that that I've been asking myself and reflecting upon is what is it that I'm carrying because there's a knowing that we are carriers of something. We all have our own gifts and we all have our own medicine deep within. And we carry that and we offer it to others. So what is it that we're actually carrying? Whether it's carrying the gift of spoken word or whether it's carrying the gift of some kind of, uh, some kind of vocation or yes. profession or you know whatever it is maybe it's the gift of storytelling or maybe it's the gift of being able to offer something in a particular way yes, you get what i'm getting at but course. very very uh, interesting questions for us all to be reflecting on how to, how can we honor the sacred how can we honor the life that we are living in the best way possible that's most aligned to the truth of who we are and what is it that we're carrying within our lives what what flame are we tending to within our own half Yes, a ho brother. And I think um, a way of cultivating that flame and figuring out exactly what we are carrying is through lightening up and uh, getting back to the concept of play, uh, similar mm. to children. Um, you're mm. a father, you, you understand mm. the uh, spontaneity of play. And mm. from the practice of play comes discovery. And mm. um I have found for myself that when I begun walking this path and started to spend more time in ceremony uh, with sacred plant teachers and, you know, just other forms of spirituality, meditation and, and mantra chanting and all sorts of uh, musical ways of entering trance, that uh, a state of vulnerability emerged where I was more comfortable with just playing with myself to see what direction I want to go in, which best creates a platform for me to provide my gifts. So uh, mm. I completely agree with you there, brother. Um, yeah, I love that. Playful curiosity. And it's such an important piece of the puzzle. Yes. And this is this ties into something that I, I was deeply embodying, consciously embodying towards the start of my path. I didn't really know which direction to be heading as the spiritual development expansion and self-development path started to open up but it was like okay there's all of these things out there that i've never experienced and never dived into let's just hold that playful curiosity <laughs> and just you know enter the waters of each thing and see what resonates yes yes and the things that resonate i'm going to naturally gravitate more towards them and if they don't it's like okay i weave in and out of these spaces and as you alluded to having a child that is some very, very powerful medicine right there <laughs> when it comes to tapping into 
the lightheartedness and the joy and yes. the silliness and the and the playfulness, you know, not being worried about making stupid sounds or yeah. singing silly songs <laughs> or just looking like an absolute goofball yeah. from the outside. But and not just doing that in the comfort of home, but being out in public. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Potent medicine, you know, intertwined with that is the singing and the dancing and the laughing. And it's often said you look at some of the most tapped in, you can call them gurus if you want, or spiritual teachers mm-hmm. or shamans, and they've often got this childlike giddiness to them. It's yes. because they've tapped, they've, they've shed all of the layers of, you know, all this crust that we build up over our lives and they've got back to this childlike essence within. Yeah, that um- And of course- we just had a little bit of overlap there, but that's okay. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, I was simply going to say that, uh, you know, the old saying of if your guru doesn't laugh or if your shaman doesn't laugh, don't trust them. <laughs> I think that um, totally equates to the <laughs> necessity of play. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. What I was saying as we were overlapping each other is there's certainly a place for the seriousness of all this work, but also holding in the same, you know, in the same palm is the lightheartedness as well. They they go hand in hand. Yeah. 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 Speaking of potent medicine, I would love to pick your brain about one of the most potent medicines, and that is (laughs) the sacred combo. Mm. And uh, for those who don't know what combo is, it's a beautiful cleansing medicine from the secretion of an Amazonian frog. And uh, you, sir, have been such a beautiful ambassador of this medicine. I've been incredibly inspired and proud of the way that you have conducted yourself in carrying this medicine and speaking about it. Because from my point of view, it is easily one of the most, hmm, how should I say it? one of the most misrepresented sacred medicines that are out there regarding its uh, perceived danger, regarding uh, even down to what it even is, you know, people referring to it as a poison that will kill you. And uh, mm-hmm. there's um, certain vice documentaries about this medicine that has full, uh, that, that are full of misrepresentation of facts and uh, the way that you have continued to carry this medicine and speak about it has been with the highest respect and reverence. And I would love for you to tell our listeners and those who are tuning into this show a little bit more about this medicine and what has made you so attracted to not only using it within your life, but also facilitating ceremonies with it. Okay. We're about to enter a little bit of a rabbit hole here. So Kambo, Kambo goes by several different names. So most people call it by Kambo or Kambo or Kambo. It's also known as Sapo. It's called Daukiet. It's known as Ordeal Medicine, which we'll touch on why it's called Ordeal Medicine. It's called Hunting Magic, Vaccine of the Forest, Vaccina da Floresta. Many different names. And just repeating what you spoke to before It is a secretion that comes from the giant green monkey tree frog. That's what it's known in the West. Its Latin name is Philomedusa bicolor. And this waxy secretion from this Amazonian amphibian carries the reputation for 
being one of the most potent ways to not only clear and cleanse, but realign, bring back into balance the mind-body-soul connection. So there are a number of ways in which Kambu is used traditionally. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. Anyone that knows about Kambu or has experienced Kambu will know this. It'll be a bit of a refresher for these people. But one of the reasons it is to ensure hunting success by increasing strength, endurance, energy, heightens the senses. Mm -hmm. It's used as a bit of a general jungle medicine. Now, what the efficacy is of Kambu pertaining to all of these conditions that I'm about to speak to, I'm unsure of, but word on the vine (laughs) says that it's used to treat snake bites, malaria, infections, fever, pathogens of all sorts. And then it's also used to clear away something called panema and then loosely translated panema correlates to a heavy or a dark or a dense energy. And you could think of a big dark cloud that is always hovering over you and things just aren't quite going the way that we'd like them to go. Mm, Yes. Now, we could extrapolate that out to talk about many different things. And I talk about these things within five different pillars, physical, mental, emotional, energetic, spiritual. So... For example, the darkness that we might feel on a physical level could be illness. The heaviness on a mental or an emotional level could be the limiting beliefs or the emotional baggage Mm -hmm. that we're carrying around. On an energetic level, maybe there's something, you know, if we want to talk about chakra systems, if we're getting into Eastern philosophies here, then yeah, maybe there's some imbalances on an energetic level. On a spiritual level, we could be talking about a spiritual severance, the stuff that we were talking about before, that disconnection to the natural world. Yeah, the disconnection to you know our own divinity within. So these are some of the primary uses of Kambo in a traditional context, but largely because of Kambo's ability to clear out Panema, it's become very, very adaptable over here in a contemporary Western context. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. And actually I I love the we can talk about the when we're talking about the origins of Kambo, there's kind of two lenses to look at it. There's the indigenous traditional lens of the origin story. And then, of course, there's the, there's the Western lens. <laughs> yes. And, you know, we can talk about that perhaps later on if we did want to delve into what we know about the science around Kambo. Mm-hmm. But I love the indigenous story and. You know, that's, I don't know whether we're going to touch on it now, but there's such potency in storytelling and mythology. Yes, please, brother. I would love for you to touch on the story of this sacred medicine. So, okay. So there are various tribes all throughout the Amazon basin and they, you know, I'm sure. I know of a couple of stories, and I'm sure there are many, <laughs> yes. many, probably hundreds of stories that I don't As know is about. the case no, with it, Amazonian stories. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the most well-known legends comes from the Kashinawa people, I believe, in Brazil. And this story starts many, many moons ago, before your time and before my time. And there was a medicine man, and his name was Kampu. And Kampu was trying very desperately to 
help cure his tribespeople who were becoming incredibly sick. And he was using all kind of medicinal herbs, but nothing seemed to be helping. So what he did was he journeyed deep into the forest and he received guidance from the visionary plant medicine that we've been speaking about, ayahuasca, sacred teacher plant. And it was here that Kampu, he was visited by a spirit guardian. And it said, you know, depending on which story you're which tradition is coming through here that the spirit guardian was a was a beautiful woman and she carried very very delicately this frog in her hands <laughs> and she actually taught him about the healing properties of this frog including how to use its secretion to cure his tribe which were becoming more and more sick mm. so after receiving all this profound knowledge kampu comes back to his village and he goes through the motions of what this spirit guardian told him and through using the secretion in this very specific way, he was managed to rid his people of their illnesses. Yes. And time went on and as time went on, Kampu you know, eventually started to enter old age and he passed away. But it's said that his spirit lived on within the frog, becoming a, a protector and a guardian of the forest and the essence of him and the essence of the frog were intertwined and they still to this day gift all people in the jungle and all around the globe this ability to continue developing a relationship a healing nurturing nourishing relationship as as a sacred medicine to help the people come back into alignment Mm. so this is the indigenous story of how kambo came to came to the forefront as a healing medicine and, you know, I just, I love these kind of stories and myths that, yes. because ultimately we do not know how on earth, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we want to go yeah, down that rabbit yeah. hole, how on earth does a people figure out how to get, and this is going to speak to how Kambo is actually administered into the system, but yes. how do the people realize that this particular frog secretes, you know, secretes this waxy resin on the top of its skin and you scrape off this waxy secretion and what you do is you burn tiny little holes on the top layer of your skin take off that top layer of skin and then put that medicine onto the very top layer of skin where it gets sucked into the lymphatic system and makes its way around the body and induces this powerful detoxification cleansing clearing realignment process yes it's 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 uh, astounding brother Yes, it really is. Yeah, it's a strange one to compl- contemplate. Yeah, I think um, that's why I personally resonate so much with that specific uh, story that you just shared simply because the crux of that story is that the guidance came from Grandmother Ayahuasca. And that story of how these natives even discovered the mixture of traditionally those two plants out of what 80,000 plus plants in the Amazon is something uh, that humanity will probably chew on for the left rest of our existence. <laughs> um, mm. So I think uh, there is an inherent power and sacredness to these compounds and medicines because of how complex they are and the fact that us as a species have actually discovered them um, is just really amazing. And 
yeah, for you to speak to the way that it is applied, I would love for you to continue down that route and kind of explain to some people mm. who have zero experience with this medicine about the actual experience of when it is uh, placed on to the skin and enters your lymphatic system. Mm. So once the medicine starts to enter the body, the depending on someone's constitution in regards to uh, their, uh, what am I speaking to here? In regards to whereabouts on their body, the medicine is being placed and the, uh, uh, sorry, the, the language that I'm trying to think of is eluding me right now. But how quickly their their blood flows mm. within their body. Yes. You know, if it's placed further down towards their leg, then you know the the medicine might might uh, take a while to come on. But yeah, sorry, I just lost my train tra no train problem. of fact train of thought there. But we're getting back on. So speaking to a more generalized way of how this medicine comes on, within thirty seconds to sixty seconds, the medicine will start to rise in someone's body and. The medicine is comprised of peptides, and we can talk about the science of what a peptide is a little bit later if we want to get into that, but these peptides induce specific physiological responses within the body. And because of these peptides, there are similarities in what the combo experience and the combo sensations can be. So some of these Physiological responses that the peptides induce include a racing of the heart, tachycardia, vasodilation, so the arteries start to expand. With those two together, there might be throbbing, pulsing, oscillating, especially in the upper body, in the head, almost like a, uh, you know, like a, a phaser or a laser yes. going in your head yes. as your heart's beating. <laughs> there can be heating up, so thermomodulation of the body. There can be gastric, well, there is gastric acid secretion. There's smooth muscle contraction, which ties into this inherent purging process that Carbo induces. And this ties into some of the misconception around Carbo being dangerous as well because it's a purgative. And, you know, it's, it's always an interesting conversation to navigate because as I'm talking, I see so many different portals and Likewise, rabbit brother. holes of dialogue <laughs> opening up. Likewise. You know, we can start talking about the, the difference in perception towards purgatives from a Western context yes. versus a, an indigenous or an Eastern you know, context where purging is seen as getting well rather than, on the other hand, purging as being something that's inherently uh, harmful to the body. Yes, us, us but, humans are the only species that um, perceive getting well or vomiting in that way. Um, if you see, if you watch any other species in nature, when uh, they are not feeling well, they typically vomit and begin to get well immediately after that. So that, Absolutely. that is a, that is a rabbit hole. I would love to go down <laughs> at some point as well. But, um, yeah. yes. So as, as you're describing this experience, um, just, mm. just to interject, I know some people mm. are going, why the hell would anybody want to go through that? Why is mm -hmm. this, uh, what sounds like horrific experience worth, uh, the pain and um, discomfort. Mm, mm. Yeah. So aside from those sensations that I mentioned, which do sound uncomfortable, 
there are more uncomfortable experiences that <laughs> does come with combo. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, tremors, shaking, nausea. You can have diarrhea. There's catharsis. But look, this is this speaks to why combo is known as an ordeal medicine because it can be an ordeal to go through. Certainly, and it also. Yeah, it also speaks to the reason why Carbo is not approached as a recreational drug. Similar to many of these other sacred medicines, it's because they are inherently, for the most part, extremely uncomfortable processes to go through. But because, well, due to the intense and challenging nature of these experiences, there are many reasons why people return to these medicines. And this speaks to what we were talking about before in terms of Carbo helping people release this panema. So in the right setting, in the right context, Carbo and all of these sacred medicines offer us the opportunity to realign, to recalibrate to deeper levels of our health, to our wellness, to the calling of our heart and spirit. Yes. And, you know, we can look at it from those pillars that I was talking about on the physical level, and this speaks to some of what I have seen in regards to Kambo's healing potential from people that have stepped into my own circles, which has been that Kambo assists with ailments such as chronic fatigue, chronic pain, recurrent infections, certain addictions such as alcohol and drug addictions, any kind of microbial imbalances, mm -hmm. so parasitic infections, candida, gut problems. Lyme disease, fertility issues, you know, you've got your fungal and your bacterial imbalances as well, things like Parkinson's disease, high blood pressure. Now, it's important before I continue on to also put forth the caveat that Kambu is not always going to assist with all of these issues. Yes. Kambu is not a panacea and it's not for everyone either. It can be incredibly beneficial when it comes to these physical illnesses whether it's treating the physical illness itself or whether it's working on some kind of mental or emotional energy that is linked in with that physical mm, yes illness yeah whether it's you know the beliefs about it or the attachment to being unwell or whether it's some kind of emotional hang up that has been part of the core of why these physical problems have come to manifest themselves. But Kambo is only one piece of the puzzle here when we're talking about the greater picture of health and wellness. Yes, it can help address and realign and move the needle when it comes to some of these health issues, but part of a greater picture here. Yes. But look, in the, in the grand scheme of things, what I'm getting at is that the reason why people come back to it is it because it carries such a powerful potential to initiate these recalibrations to health and wellness and heart and spirit. Yes, very much so, brother. It has a tremendous uh, power to simply move energy on a physical mm. level and on a spiritual level. And mm. I can say that my first time sitting with Combo, I was told that the experience should uh, wane after about 20, 30 minutes and that I should be ready mm -hmm. to go back to where I was staying in Ecuador. And I can say, brother, that after my experience of, you know, having the dots taken off of me, 
I was in a state of deep catharsis for maybe two hours laying down in this teepee <laughs> of immense uh, discomfort, uh, feeling really weak and drained, uh, feeling like uh, I wasn't able to get up and walk and simply had to rest. And um, thank God the facilitators were very warm and loving and, and very receptive and taking care of me. And uh, eventually I regained my strength and was able to go and rest uh, back where I was staying. And right, I would say just a couple hours later, I felt this level of clarity and lightness that I had not felt in some weeks. And uh, I, I didn't know how to quite articulate it even to myself. And it's even a little bit difficult to articulate now, but there was a significant shift of, I would say, a lifting of what you would call brain fog. Um, I just felt a physical lightness within my body, maybe due to all the purging. Um, and I instantly, although during the experience, I told myself, I will never do this, do this again. I was instantly already preparing to schedule another session. <laughs> and um, I would love for you to speak on the difficulty of this experience also serving as a level of initiation for some. Because for me, a lot of the power and strength I received from this experience was feeling like I have just endured something that I would have never thought I would have been able to push through. And with that realization came a lot of strength and a lot of clarity and a lot more confidence within myself of seeing how far I can push my body and spirit. So on an initiatory level, how can combo be used and how have you seen it been used within your circles? So before we engaged in the formalities of this conversation, when we were chatting prior, I mentioned Martin Shaw, Dr. Martin Shaw, the great storyteller and mythologist. And I've been chewing on some of his words recently, and these words revolve around the word initiation. And they've been finding a spot of resonance in me. And he speaks to initiation as not something that we, we don't know what it is exactly that we're being initiated into before we step into it. It's only after we travel down that path in significant ways that we can reflect back and then say what it is that mm. we've been initiated into. And I can say this on a personal level when it comes to my relationship with Kambo. I'm not entirely sure mm. to this day what was the initial calling <laughs> for me towards Kambo. I don't know why it was calling out. I'd already worked with ayahuasca and wachuma and several other plant medicines extensively in the jungles. But there came a time when Kambo came into my radar and sometimes that is just the case when it comes to feeling a calling to work with these natural medicines. There's a calling. It's an innate knowing. Yes. The intuition. Yeah, something much, much deeper than our rational, logical, egoic mind can begin to articulate. But you speak to many commonalities within your own experience when you were telling the story about feeling exhaustion afterwards and then after quite a while you started to notice a level of clarity come through. Mm -hmm. And while that 
while that is a, a general similarity within many people's experience, it's not always like that. And I, I did want to say that before I get into the, the heart of what else I wanted to say that, and that's that not everyone experiences the invigoration and the clarity afterwards. Yeah. Sometimes these medicines can bring on what's known as a healing crisis or a Herxheimer response yes. where I like to call Kambo the best gardener I know <laughs> and what a gardener Kambo is because we were speaking about pulling up the roots earlier and Kambo loves to do this, maybe even more so than the other medicines or maybe just on a different level. I think that's more accurate to say. Kambo gets in deep into our system and uproots all of these dense, stagnant energies that have been residing in our system for sometimes our whole lives. And these energies, as we've spoken to, they could be physical, they could be mental, they could be emotional. And sometimes it has to uproot these and it doesn't necessarily send them into the bucket during the purging process straight away. Sometimes it just lets them bubble up and filter to the surface in the days or the weeks to come so that the body can start to go through its own natural process of healing and realignment back to health, yes. back to homeostasis. So as you know, some people go through these periods of feeling unwell after working with Kambo. Things get worse before they get better, and it's because the body has to detoxify. And there's also the discernment needed there as to whether we are allowing these things to be brought to the surface so the body can release them, or on the other hand, we have pushed it maybe a little bit too far and we've overwhelmed an overtaxed yes. physical system. Mm -hmm. So again, another rabbit hole to <laughs> go down there. But you know, on a surface level understanding, that should give a bit of context there. Yes, completely. But now, to come back full circle, can you articulate your question again so I can get back on track to what I was yes, speaking to? Yes, of course, of course, brother. The outside of the... Uh, physical experience of combo which let me just speak to your point as well uh there were about maybe 10 people in our group that day when i first had this medicine i've had it many times since um and everybody reacted very differently um which also speaks to the the uh diversity we are as uh human beings as alike as we are but um like my face it s s swelled up beyond belief I have photos of it. I probably will never share with anybody. But <laughs> um, what I was alluding to as well before uh, our recent exchange was the feeling of confidence uh, and strength I felt on an initiatory level from the experience and how you have been able to use this medicine as a form of initiation for others and for yourself as well. Yes, thank you. Back on track. Why I was telling that story also led into my own experiences with Kambo. And it's that I'd heard about all of these experiences where people felt the clarity and the rejuvenation and the, the focus, you know, having that clear direction in life on many, many different levels. But I didn't experience that. Mm. I experienced a sluggishness and a, a general malaise. You know, I felt like the fatigue that I had started to experience, and this ties back into Central America travels, where I mentioned I started to feel unwell. Yes, and this was this became a chronic mystery illness that I was dealing with for many, many years. And the symptoms from when I first started to feel that they came back after I started working with Cambo, and I didn't know it at the time, mm -hmm. but Cambo clearly uprooting this stuff to the surface. And I started questioning, man, is this? 
am I actually receiving benefit from this particular sacred medicine or am I overwhelming and overtaxing my system? And I didn't know at the time, but I, something kept drawing me into Kambo. The, the pull was still there, you know, whispering, keep coming, keep coming forth. There's something here to be learned and gained. And it was after maybe three or four sessions with Kambo that a couple of pieces of the puzzle dropped in for me to recognize that perhaps one of the reasons why I was so ill was due to an undiagnosed heavy metal toxicity in my body. And without getting too deeply into that story, I went and got all the necessary testing and it turns out that what Carmbo had somehow alluded to was in fact correct. And I had incredibly high levels of mercury, lead, nickel, aluminium, primarily mercury though, in my system, which was causing a lot of the chronic fatigue, the brain fog, the digestive issues, respiratory issues. So while while Kambo was in the beginning and seemed to be initiating me into the sickness once again, what I recognized upon reflection many, many moons later was that Kambo was actually initiating me into a strengthening of who I was, mm. a character cultivation. And this comes, and I think it's probably inextricably intertwined within Kamo's experience as a whole. And it's that when we are in the magnifying glass of working with a sacred medicine such as Kamo, the ordeal medicine that is incredibly uncomfortable for the most part, we have a greater opportunity to find the stillness within ourselves as we're going through this chaos, this discomfort. And if we can tune into these reservoirs of stillness within and connect with the breath, even though we're feeling discomfort, we're purging, we've got body aches and everything else. That is incredibly transferable back into our daily life. Yes. And I think that is such a big initiation for many people if they're open enough and if they're receptive enough to be able to hold that perspective and to see combos working in that way. Because oftentimes people can hold these expectations that combo is going to do this for me or whatever it is. This this peak transformational experiences mm. is going to offer this outcome. And if that doesn't happen, they can fail to see the gemstones that have been scattered right before their eyes. Yes. And I, I think this is this is one of the big initiations. It's the initiation into the stillness, into the character cultivation, into the strength, into the courage. It's for me, it's a very kind of virtuous medicine in a sense. Yes. I, I couldn't agree more, brother. And I think this experience of breathing through uh the moments of immense fear and uh terror or simple discomfort and pain is something that is a thread that runs through all ceremonial uh, works with various medicines. Um, and I feel like that is yet again another purpose of using some of these plant teachers because they allow us and force us into levels of initiation that are simply lacking in our modern times. And learning how to cultivate character, as you say, and cultivate a sense of calm during these uh, most discom 
uh, discomfortable experiences uh, really allows you to regain a sense of strength and confidence in your everyday life. And I think there is such a power of utilizing this practice. And I think all of what we're discussing as well alludes to the fact that there is just a simple lack of initiation within our culture today. And uh, this path of working with plant medicines has uh, served as a way for many young men and women and adults of all ages to enact a sense of initiation. But what I would love to discuss with you now is what do you see as the dangers of this malnourishment we are experiencing as a culture with this lack of initiation and how us as humans can reinstill this practice of initiation, even if it's not through the means of plant medicines and in any other ways that you can possibly think of. Hmm. So as my mind has a tendency to do sometimes, it's almost like I, I start off on a tangent and then weave my way back through. And what this brings to mind is the, the difference between olderhood versus elderhood. Yes. Yeah. So the, if the distinction there isn't already obvious for anyone that's listening, olderhood is the process of just aging and going through life and getting old, mm -hmm. not necessarily carrying, as we were speaking to before, carrying some sort of gift or some sort of medicine that's being in service to the world in a way that has, in a way that's in right relationship to all of life. It's like, uh, many, many people consider the process of aging a right in itself <laughs> of stepping into elderhood, yes. but it is not the case. Elderhood and becoming an elder has to be earned through the trials and tribulations and the challenges, you know, alchemizing these challenges of life into higher perspectives and wisdom, you know, with that understanding that, or with the understanding for the good of all, yes. so that the lessons and the teachings and the wisdom can be passed on to the younger generations in a context appropriate for the times that we're in. So, you know, we can take a look at politics, for example, you know, where are all the elders? <laughs> yes. And I, I think it's largely because, you know, we've been born into a system that is fundamentally flawed and it's not set up to honor the sacred. So it's natural that many of our spiritual elders are not gravitating towards a system that is so foundationally mm, flawed yes. from the beginning, you know, disconnected from the the life-giving planet, the the essence of the sacred within all life. So, you know, whether it's indigenous elders or, you know, elders in our backyard, um, there's wisdom to be gained from those who can connect the dots, see the threads, you know, visualize the the greater web of interconnectedness between all life and can speak to the importance of living in right relationship, living a virtuous life, you know, right thought, right speech, right behavior. And the way that I'm articulating this, I can see it coming across as a very uh, First Nations, you know, Native American Indian way of perceiving life. 
and telling the stories through, you know, virtuous ways and uh, principles. Yes. You know, principles that harness these like wild horses that Mm -hmm. carry our virtues. So I guess what I'm speaking to there is one of the dangers is moving through life and getting to a stage where we are not stepping up into elderhood. We're just going through life and, you know, we're ending up with a lot of olders who don't know how to lead the way for the younger generations. Mm. And we see it rampant. We touch back on the politics. We look at religion. We look at technology. Everything is so fundamentally disconnected from everything that we're speaking to, the sacredness of all of life. Yes, brother. And I think that's it, the disconnect. You know, we could try and language it in a million and one ways, but when we're looking at it from an umbrella context, this is what we're speaking to. Yeah, big time. And I feel like you um, answered my question on such a deep level that most people wouldn't take that stance of understanding. But what I believe is the absolute truth in what you're saying is that there is a lack of initiation due to there being a lack of elders. And thank you. Yes. And I feel like many young men and women may, uh, falsely blame themselves for uh, feeling like they haven't taken an initiatory step towards becoming an adult. Whereas the conversation you and I are having now is that in an indigenous and ancient uh, way of living life, it was always the elderly that would help guide the youth into becoming the highest quality version of themselves. And uh, yes, there's a direct tie yes. between this uh, lack of initiation and lack of elders, for sure. Yes, yes. The elders initiating the younger generation through rites of passage. And we see that those rites of passage are sorely lacking in much of the contemporary Western world. And rites of passage, they're generally made up of these three pillars. One's the separation One's the dying and the death process. And the third is the rebirth into something new. And generally within the rite of passage, there's an element of danger yes. within there. You know, in indigenous, if we go way back in times, you know, it might be going out into the wild and coming back with, you know, uh, well, having fought off the, the wolf or the lion, you know, mm-hmm. spending time out on the on a wilderness vigil or the vision quest and going through the dangers of all, of everything that the raw primal wilderness has to offer. But in this day and age, what rites of passage do we have that offer those same pillars and that same level of potential danger? Well, there's not that much. The the initiations that we have are the turning 18, (laughs) turning 21, getting your first car. Maybe it's the first time you have sex or the first time you get a job. Yeah. Or, you know, any of these other kind of, uh, they're, they're lacking substance. That's what they yeah, are. Yeah, and they're very much centered <laughs> around um, consumerism. Yes, yes, yeah. that as well. Yeah, so we have no real clear indication where men, well, excuse me, where boys are transitioning and stepping into manhood. Yeah, and there's responsibilities and accountability yes. that comes with stepping into manhood from a a rite of passage perspective. Women do go through that innately in a sense and it's through the process that each girl goes through as she has her first bleed. Yes, of course. Now, even in the Western context, even though that's innate to her, 
it's not set up in that way. It's not contextualized as a way for her to step into her womanhood. In fact, in many cultural contexts, as we know, that is completely demonized in a sense. Yes. It's looked down upon as dirty and disgusting rather than the complete opposite of what it is, which is a sacred initiation yes. into womanhood, into the mysteries, yeah? yeah, the mysteries of the feminine on a much, much deeper level. Yes, 100%. And I feel like maybe that exact um, reasoning of initiation that are that is inherently laid within the biology of women is the exact reason why men also suffer a lot further from a lack of initiation because we have no biological trigger to serve as a moment of symbolism of our transition into men. And uh, mm -hmm. I feel like although there are many different routes to the same place of becoming uh, a man or stepping into adulthood that much of the traditions we are speaking of is a very expedient and direct path because uh, the boys will, will quickly be separated from the men in many of these traditions and many of these ceremonial offerings. And, uh, mm -hmm. What for you would you say uh, you would maybe recommend to someone who is trying to find a somewhat safe experience of growing further into their adulthood if they are indeed young? Mm. Well, I feel as though that can be, I feel as though that's a tricky question for me to give an answer to and I'll illuminate why. I think because we don't know who is listening mm. to this conversation yes. right now and of course it's so easy to just give a homogenous generalized answer to say this is the linear path that you need to mm. take or you, you perhaps could take and it's, you know, Within that is the failure to recognize that we are all unique individuals in unique circumstances yes. at unique places along our own path. So it's hard to give a definite answer without having the context of each particular person on what it is that they need to go through. So I'll preface it with that. At the same time, in the same breath, there are many there are many communities that seem to be popping up on a global level, communities that are involved in some of the conscious, well, let's just call them conscious communities in a sense, and we can kind of extrapolate on that. So when I'm saying a conscious community, what I'm talking about is a community that has, that is holding the perspective towards many of these topics that we are talking about. Mm. The importance of ceremony, the importance of nature, the importance of connecting back to the heart, to the soul, to the truth of who we are, the importance of rites of passage. And there are many communities, whether they are online communities or communities that are popping up here and there that are offering things like initiations into manhood or rites of passage that men can go through. There's still the the wilderness uh, vigils yes. and the vision quests, you know, from many, many different 
corners of the globe in their in their own shape and form that are available for people to take. So there are, and I, that is that is one of the oldest forms of rite of passage and initiation that there is, and that to some extent is widely available to a lot of people in one way or another yes. at spending time out in nature. You know, and as I was saying, it's so hard to give a homogenous answer in a sense, but spending time out in nature is probably one of the suggestions that I may lay forth in that generalized context. Yes. Because there's just, as we've spoken to this whole conversation, there is such a severe disconnect between man, woman, and the natural world. So much so that we don't, so many people don't recognize that we, us, mm-hmm. everyone listening to this, we are all animals. <laughs> yeah, we have a wild animal wisdom within that yes. we've forgotten about. Yes, of course, brother. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And to uh, answer my own difficult question, which I certainly am aware of how difficult of a question that is when there's such a diverse amount of paths through this life, um, I guess... From hearing you speak, something that I maybe can provide that is a generalized answer to that question is for people to submerge themselves deeply into whatever they are most passionate about and really give that their all. Because through the process of attempting to become a master at something, whatever it is, comes forth many experiences of initiation. Uh, So for those who maybe don't feel the inclination of going down the uh, initiation route of connecting through nature, which I also suggest everybody does if they have uh, an opportunity to, uh, I believe many people can receive the same initiation benefits through simply really going after something they really have a deep passion about. And uh, that's what just comes to me in this moment. Yeah, look, and as we keep speaking about it, I'm sure we could keep uncovering the soil to see some of the little gold nuggets just peeking up from the dirt. And <laughs> yes. you know, then you start to re- remind me that there are there are a few pillars that you know they do tie into what it is that we're talking about. As we're, if we're talking about complete initiate uh, initiation experiences, maybe maybe they don't touch on them to the the. Uh, to the to the great degree that we're talking about in terms of yes. going out on a vision quest or a plant medicine experience yes. but there but there are pillars and some of these pillars are exactly what you speak to engaging in something that you really are really feeling called to pursue and what does that require that requires presence mm. so it requires cultivating presence yes. it requires intention it requires our sincerity of intention and you know another big piece to this and I have a brother that speaks to this often and I've come to recognize the importance of this over many years as well. And it's that in this day and age where we are living in a such a rapid, give it to me now, immediate gratification culture, one of the most radical things that we could ever do individually and collectively is to sit in silence. Mm. Sit in silence and listen to what wants to come through because there is such a compulsion that if we do ever find ourselves sitting in silence, something pops up into the frame of mind. Maybe I'll grab a drink of water. Maybe I'll do some stretching. Or maybe I'll read that book that I was going to read or listen to that podcast or 
chuck something on Netflix or whatever it is, the mind is always grasping for something. But to actually sit in silence and even better still, sit in silence outside in nature because we're always taking from nature for hundreds of years. It's just been take, take, take. And again, touching on Martin Shaw because I've been listening to a lot of him lately. You go out into the woods and, you know, the trees looking back on us, all they've seen is humans looking back at them thinking, oh, that tree will make a nice bit of timber for my house or make the, the, nice, the nice boat that I'm thinking of. You know, it's always using the tree for some, as some kind of resource yes. and perceiving it that way. So the most radical thing that we can do is to sit in silence, out in nature, not taking anything and, in fact, giving something back. It's the act of reciprocity, mm, uh-huh. sacred reciprocity. Yes, the um, the act of Aini, as it's called in uh, the Quechua language, um, that sacred reciprocity is so important. And I feel like uh, reaching those states of silence is the best way to give back to many of these lands that we continually take from constantly. Um, simply remaining still is a great way of giving back. And... Um, that uh that makes me think man just uh about everything we're discussing now you know about these earth-based practices these ways of honoring the sacred these ways that are so inherently human uh i think about the fear that i have experienced and endured throughout my life and the fear that many others have experienced of walking this authentic path in a way uh that is accepted by others. Um, I guess what I'm alluding to in this long uh, verbiage is there's many people out there who believe in a lot of what we are sharing here, but remain in the um, spiritual closet, let's say. And uh, I would love for us to speak on that a bit and what type of encouragement you would give to someone who maybe wants to walk this way in a public manner, but has a fear of repercussions of potential judgment from others and society as uh, on a large scale. Mm. Something we both have experienced, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. The reason I'm laughing is because we keep opening so many conversations. And, <laughs> I know, you know, as I know, as I know you as a person, you love the depth. Yeah, you love going deep mm-hmm. into subjects and really exploring the nooks and crannies, but of course we can only do so of much course. in a short conversation. But this is another one of those big rabbit holes yeah. to go down. Yeah. So yeah, I look the first thing that I would probably speak to is even if someone does feel the calling to walk this path more publicly in a sense, which is really saying that they would just wish to walk this path in all aspects of their life, in the beginning discernment can certainly be needed discernment to know who to share with because as you spoke to this path whether it's the path of spirituality or plant medicines or shamanism or you know whatever it is that is feel even just speaking about the truth of you know whether it's uh i know that you're you speak to you speak to and you will be speaking to people who are deeply involved in the music industry you know artists, rappers, mm-hmm. even if we're talking about, you know, musical instruments and uh, musical instruments, musical pursuits yes. and walking that, if that's the truth of who you are, even that, that can be a, that can be a little bit daunting yes. for some people, 100%. just fully grabbing that by the horns and claiming it. 
So, yeah, I, I think in the beginning, especially pertaining to you know, maybe psychedelic substances in a sense or sacred medicines where they are still considered illegal, it's wise to exercise caution with who we do choose to share this information with. You know, you've got to, it's important to be able to understand the potential consequences if we do happen to unintentionally step on the wrong toes and we have to ensure, well, it's a point of consideration to for ourselves to know how we might navigate those situations, whether it be with family mm. or friends, because, you know, when we share with uh, family and friends, especially <laughs> that can have a tendency to act as a mirror to, for it to bring up their own unconscious shadow stuff, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, people can become defensive, hostile, disapproving, rejectful, yeah. judgmental, you know, depending on their programming, their conditioning, their beliefs, ancestry traumas, you know, all the rest of it. So, you know, it's it's something to keep in mind. But speaking from personal experience and from what you were speaking to before as well, the more that we do grab our own true path and really, really align ourselves to that more of the layers of the conditioning of all all of our own subconscious stuff starts to fall away. And I think it does become more of a natural process of stepping more into our truth and being able to being able to hold that that firm ground, that centeredness wherever we walk in life and be like, this is who I am. And if the judgment comes, it's a work in progress of being able to learn how to navigate that. Yes. How do I navigate the judgment or the projections coming from other people? And sometimes that can be medicine in itself to see where we are out of alignment <laughs> or out of integrity or where we don't have convictions in who we are. Yes, very much so. So, mm, Yeah, but you know, finding community <clears throat> and connections where you do feel safe and supported and welcomed and accepted exactly for who you are as an individual is a key part of yes. what we're speaking to here. Yes. Yeah, it's uber important. You know, it's it's hard to do it on your lonesome. Yes. And uh, also, I think if you walk this path uh, with open arms as authentically as possible, uh, your community finds you and you find it. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, that can be a, that can be a learning experience for sure yeah, yeah yeah for me it was as i said going into that hermit mode the recluse and eventually over time aligning to more of my truth self then i would place myself in situations and embody more of an essence or an energy that would allow me to seek out and draw in more of those same energies yeah. from the external world yeah it was a, a residence a coherence between inner and outer and it comes as we do the work. Yes, completely, brother. And um, something just to begin to wrap up on, I would love to express how much I love to see you walking your very authentic path in such a public manner. And uh, I feel like you serve as an inspiration to many others who, as you said, to want to walk this path simply in uh, the strongest capacity possible. I feel like you have done a great job as being a thought leader in that regard. And um, something that shines through in your work and in your sharings is that you are simply yourself. You are one of a kind. There's no one who could be a better Caillou Kiora than you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that um, 
that brings me to a point of uh, something a teacher once taught me that is also very reflective in the hip hop community that I come from. And that is that you don't copy anybody else that's on this path to be a quote unquote copycat is uh, a pretty bad look because it means you're not being your most authentic self. And something that shines through you is that you have come to learn this path in your own way and in your own time. <clears throat> and um, I think uh, the originality of your expression and of each and every one of our expressions is so important. It's like why I love to see those feathers behind you and the fans and everything that I know you put your energy into because it's yours. It's not someone else's. And uh, I think that's the encouragement I would give to myself and to others as well is to don't just follow in the same exact footsteps as anyone else, even if you are inspired by them. Walk your own original path. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, something you've done a great job at. <laughs> um, <laughs> something I want to just end with that I've been asking some of the other guests on this show is uh, who are some people right now? They could be artists, creatives, authors, uh, spiritual leaders, whoever, that you would just like to show some love to that maybe you've been consuming some of their content of. Yeah, I spoke to his name several times during a conversation, mm -hmm. Dr. Martin Shaw, he's been a big influence on me when it comes to the importance of storytelling and mythology and making sense of our journeys throughout life. Yes. He, he's a big one. If I was to have a dinner party, I would love to have a sit down <laughs> with him and you know, yeah, have him tell me stories. Yeah. You know? And you know, the, the reason why I like him is the, the type of stories that I'm speaking to, these aren't stories to, you know, enrapture or to help people escape or to entertain. But these are the stories that I'm speaking to. These are stories that help people wake up. Mm. Uh -huh. Yeah. The stories aren't necessarily always full of the light and the love and the ascension. Yeah. These are stories that often involve digging down into the dirt and the scat and the mud, going down into the descent because it's in the descent that – as we've been speaking to this entire time, we've got to descend to be able to find out the truth of who we are. Yes, brother. A very, yeah. a very necessary realization on this path and um, mm -hmm. uh, a notion that many people forget in the uh, quote-unquote new age community that it's all light and love, whereas uh, mm -hmm. the true growth occurs in darkness and nature represents that in many ways as well. Um, so thank you yeah, for look, that. Yeah, for sure. It, like yeah. I might speak to two more since I know some of your guests are artists, artists, and in the music scene. Mm -hmm. Two people in the music scene that have really been pivotal for me when it comes to offering music as medicine have been Narco, Narco Bear, yes. and Trevor Hall as well. Amazing artists. Yeah, yeah. So there'd be another two people that I would love to play some tunes in the background while I'm hanging out with uh, Dr. Martin Shaw at dinner time. <laughs> Beautiful, man. <laughs> I will include all these names in the show notes so that people can tune into these artists and creators if they're not familiar already. Um, okay. Certainly. What is something in your life right now that you are currently trying to master? I'm at the very, very beginning stages of this. But one thing that I would like to master that has been at the forefront of my attention 
has been the art of oral imagining. <laughs> and you could you could say this is imagining in public, imagining out loud. So being able to speak, having not said any of these words before and not not taking the time to reflect on what it is that what thoughts are actually coming through and then speak to them after they've manifested in the mind and you have some sort of coherence, but to be able to just speak that imagination that you're seeing, the visualizations, you know, the snakes weaving through and just have their, you know, their flickering tongues on the tip of my tongue and just come through when I'm speaking, you know, in a, po- in a very poetic, a very elegant, graceful way. So that's what I would love to cultivate more of and become more of a master of. Yes, you're well on that path, brother. And that is something that uh, <laughs> I'm trying my best to uh, assimilate into my life as well. And uh, it's one of those things where you only become more comfortable doing it by simply doing it. <laughs> yes, brother. Um, okay. Absolutely. Lastly, I want to ask you and I want you to give us the listeners a little bit of a view into your life and uh, or maybe a daily habit of yours. And I will ask you that question by what is something you do every day that you would consider ceremonial in a sense that you try your best to instill into every day of your life? I touched on it before, and that is finding a moment within my day to sit out in nature in silence and and offer and make offerings, make libations to the earth, to nature, to spirit, to the old ones, the ancient ones, our ancestors. And these offerings that I make, they are offerings of acknowledgement, respect, gratitude, and guidance. And sometimes I'll do this just by sitting in silence. Sometimes I will do this by taking my pipe and my sacred herbs with me and offering prayers, allowing my prayers to come through thought, to come through word if they want to come through word and make their way through the pipe down into the smoke and allowing the smoke to carry those prayers and those words, those intentions out into the great mystery. Sometimes it'll be by singing a song or reading a passage in a book and there are many many things yes. but this is this is one of the important things and perhaps if you're open to it then i can share a little prayer to close up our space and our conversation yes i would very much be open to that brother i would love to join you in this okay <clears throat> perhaps what i'll do is i'll invite you to close down your eyes brother and for anyone else that's listening they can close down their eyes too if they're not driving a a, a motor vehicle yes. or they're in a, they're in a place where they can and just let these words sink in hmm. to all our relations i offer these words and call on your names in acknowledgement respect, gratitude, and guidance. Firstly, acknowledging all the ancient wisdom and calling in the energy of the four directions, the sacred elements, paying respect and gratitude to Pachamama, Madre Tierra, Mama Gaia, Earth, our home, for nourishing and nurturing us with all that we need. To Pachacama, Grandfather Sky above, Keeper of Time. Taita Inti and Mama Kia, the sun and the moon, vital in supporting us and all of our kin here on this planet. 
the bringer of warmth, life, light, keeper of the tides, to the star nations and galaxies above and beyond, acknowledging and paying respects to the traditional custodians of these lands that I'm on, the Gunjimara people, indigenous aboriginals that have been on these lands for many, many, many tens of thousands of years, nurturing, tending, looking after these lands well before I was ever here. To all ancestors of these lands and my ancestors of blood and spirit paving the path for me to be here today. To all my teachers, totems, allies, spirit guides and loving guidance. And of course, to great spirit, great mystery for this breath, for health, for the abundance that's here in each moment and the abundance still to come for the opportunity to have this conversation with a dear brother. The guidance that I ask for here is continued alignment to right thought, right speech, right behavior, right relationship to all things within this interconnected web of life. And it's my prayer that this dialogue has provided nourishment for, well, not just for ourselves, which I know it has, but also for those who are listening. And I trust that there will be gemstones within this conversation for others to carry with them on their own path forward. And of course, to finish up, to all our loved ones, both human and non-human form, all the names who we haven't spoken, thought or felt, but who forever live in heart and spirit, to all our relations. Aho. Aho, brother. Aho. I will ad-lib your perfectly articulated footnote with uh, simplest prayer of gratitude of all, and that is thank you. Thank you for coming on to Masters of Ceremony. I look forward to having further discussions with you on this platform and also in life in general. And... I just want to say and extend a blessing for the life of yourself, the life of your family, the lives of those who you will continue to touch and come in contact with. And I pray that all obstacles in your path are easily overcome and if not, serve as lessons that continue to strengthen you on your path. So thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on this show. And I look forward to having more dialogues like this again. A real pleasure and a real delight. Thank you. Yes, brother. Peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this show, please take another moment to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you're interested in any of Caillou's other offerings, please check out medicinepath.net, add him on Facebook and Instagram, and check out his new podcast, Birdsong. It really has been such a inspirational and motivating podcast for me, which centers around everything we discussed today. And for those interested in the offer I made at the beginning of this podcast, the special prize I'm giving away is one free limited edition vinyl of my debut album as a record producer, The Fifth Tape. This album means so much to me, and I only have a few of these vinyls left. So to enter the sweepstakes, all you need to do is leave a review on iTunes, and please DM us your email to our Instagram page, which is at the Masters of Ceremony. 
I look forward to giving one of these uh, vinyls away. And I thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Masters of Ceremony. See you next week. Peace.